Hi, this is Zach Ruskin, and welcome back to Radio Book Passage. On our last episode, we spoke with Andy Weir, author of The Martian. Today we travel from the desolation of Mars to a snowstorm in Manhattan. This is the setting for Why We Came to the City, the second novel from Christopher Jansma, who first made waves with his debut title, The Unchangeable Spots of Leopards. Jansma is the winner of the Sherwood Anderson Foundation Fiction Award and a graduate of Columbia University's MFA program. His writing is a lively spark that comes from the fires of F. Scott Fitzgerald and Wes Anderson, prose that live in the ether of the profound and the tender. Before an event to celebrate why we came to the city, Jansma sat down with Book Passage's own Melissa Sestaro, author of the memoir Pieces of My Mother, recipient of the 2016 NCIBA Award for Nonfiction. Melissa Sestaro, and I'm here at Book Passage with Christopher Jansma, the author of The Unchangeable Spots of Leopards. Chris has just come out with a stunning new novel, Why We Came to the City. And we're going to have a chat about his new book and what's been going on in Christopher Jansma's world. Welcome, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming. Um, we're just so excited about this book, as we were with your last book, Unchangeable Spots of Leopards. And um, I want to start with just by um, talking about, you know, New York City mm-hmm. is so alive in this book. And through the lens of the city, we meet these five incredible steadfast friends, Sarah, mm-hmm. George, William, Irene, and Jacob. And my question is, is when did you first know that you needed to write this story? Mm. And can you talk about the inspiration for the story? Sure. Yeah, it was, it was a, a lot of things converged, but uh, uh, I started writing uh, the very beginnings of the, of the story, actually the same year that I began writing uh, The Unchangeable Spots of Leopards in 2009. Um, and uh, what had happened was uh, I had uh, just gone through sort of a long... Uh, dry spell. I had been trying to write a novel before that had fallen apart, and uh, I'd been uh, through some uh, some sort of difficult times uh, personally. My uh, my sister Jennifer, who I'm, we may talk about a little more later, um, had passed away just the year before, uh, and uh, so that year in 2009, uh, I started writing. Just a ton of stuff came all pouring out at once, and. Uh, I ended up writing uh, the the beginnings of most of the unchangeable unchangeable spots of leopards, um, but I also wrote a, a short story called the Murphy's Odyssey that year, um, and it was about uh, at the time that just that story was about a young. Uh, married couple named George and Sarah Murphy who are um, stuck on a boat uh, and uh, they're they're dealing with the loss of a friend uh, recently and uh, and I, I was taking the Odyssey theme very literally so they were actually lost in the Greek Isles on a boat uh, mm-hmm. in the story which uh, um, but yeah I like those characters and I thought there was something really interesting they were dealing with uh, and it was the first time that I'd started to write something that really dealt directly with um, some of the losses that I'd felt um, after my sister Jennifer passed away. Um, she had cancer uh, from uh, in, in uh, 2000, 
2007, uh, and passed away early in 2008. Um, so uh, yeah, and then over the course of the next year or so, I was I just found myself returning back to those characters again and again, mm. writing more stories about them um, at different points in their lives in, in New York City. Great. Um, some of my favorite parts of this book center around George's work as an astronomer mm. and really these gorgeous observations about the stars and the universe. Um, can you talk about George mm -hmm. being sure. an astronomer? Sure. Uh, George is, yeah, I've, astronomy is always something that I've been fascinated with and when I was in high school I loved uh, physics was like the only science that ever made any sense to me and uh, mm -hmm. I had a good friend that was uh, you know wanted to become an astrophysicist and he and I are still quite close and often you know stay up late at night talking about all this kind of crazy stuff about black holes and quantum physics and and stuff and I, I barely understand any of it but uh, he makes it sound really interesting um, and uh, so George in the book is a, an astronomer uh, and in the beginning of the book he's uh, his all of his research has focused around uh, determining the sort of the stability of certain stars uh, and one of the stars that he's really focused on uh, that he believes is very stable uh, has just begun to un undergo this enormous uh, sort of collapse uh, and so he's trying through in the beginning of the book to figure out sort of where he's gone wrong and you know why suddenly this uh, this this thing that he believed was was you know going to be a permanent fixture in the in the universe is now suddenly uh, you know sort of uh, suddenly imploding um, and uh, yeah through him I got to deal with a lot you know sort of write about a lot of sort of bigger ideas um, George is an astronomer uh, and and then he's also uh, one of the uh, he's a he's sort of a, a little bit of a lapsed Catholic uh, in the in the book so he he gets to deal with all this sort of the big existential questions uh, in the novel yeah I really really love that it's very um, really poetic and just um, the metaphors really resonated with Thank me. Um, and the colorful poet Jacob in your story, mm. he reminds me a lot of Julian yeah, in The Unchangeable Spots of Leopards, <laughs> and I, I was wondering if they are related in any way. <laughs> uh, I don't think, not not by blood, but uh, yeah, in spirit, uh, I, I think Jacob, Jacob and Julian are both characters that uh, I think in different ways uh, they, they kind of uh, become a voice for uh, a part of me that uh, you know, I'm, I'm too uh, similar to George in the novel. It says at one mm -hmm. point that Jacob says all the things that he's too polite to say, uh, and uh, <laughs> and that that's why they're such good friends. And uh, and I've I, I've had many friends like that over the years, and I think mm -hmm. a, a lot of them comes out uh, in Jacob and then in Julian in the first novel. Um, but whereas you know Julian is this wildly successful uh, you know fiction writer and novelist who's who's mm -hmm. you know also a little unstable. Um, um, Jacob is uh, is sort of a failed poet. Uh, he's uh, he's written one sort of you know uh, epic poem that uh, he now by the time the book starts uh, he already really hates and um, he hasn't written anything in years uh, mm -hmm. and uh, has been kind of struggling to find his way back to the page uh, in the in the beginning of the novel and. Um, yeah, he's a great character. He's just uh, he's he's cynical and sort of you know a little bit of a malcontent in the group, and mm -hmm. I, I love those characters. So uh, was he was he someone you really enjoyed writing? Was yeah, like yeah, yeah. Because again, he 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 gets to sort of voice all the things that I would think and never never say out loud myself. You exactly. Know? I like that. <laughs>
Hey listeners, Zach here to quickly remind you to check out bookpassage.com to order signed copies of bestsellers, learn more about our young adult writers, mystery writers, and travel writers and photographers conferences, and see what we have in store for the months ahead. Book Passage has locations in Corte Madera and San Francisco in Northern California. And as the Bay Area's liveliest bookstore, we always have something new and exciting on our calendar. Visit bookpassage.com for more info. And now back to the show. So you became a father. Mm -hmm. um, as you were writing this book, is that correct? Or you had started it, but you continued yeah. to write it, and you were a new father. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if becoming a parent um, impacted this story at all, um, you know, sort of like mm -hmm. what you started versus any other new paths you went down, or anything that, that came up or surfaced. Yeah, that's a good, great question. Yeah, um, I became a father just a month after my first book was published. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, at that point, uh, I, right around the same time, I actually, uh, it's a little bit of shop talk, but I, I got the call uh, from my agent saying that we had sold uh, this book uh, to my publisher mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the day uh, that my son was born. I was oh in the hospital as, as the <laughs> announcement was going out. Oh um, my gosh. So it was like all that. really happening at once and um, but uh, yeah it did change things I had about half this half of this book finished at that point um, and uh, you know in, 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 in kind of a rough state uh, and the second half of the book I think does kind of take a very uh, different tone than the first in a lot of ways it's uh, the second half of the book is much more about sort of a you know sort of reconciliation between mm -hmm. these friends and uh, watching them sort of uh, grappling with with loss uh, and finding a way back to you know sort of uh, trying to be happier again and um, yeah I, I don't know how much of a conscious role you know being a father had on on that um, because these characters themselves are, are not uh, are not parents but uh, mm -hmm. but I think having a son at least for me made me made me start to really think about life in a very different way um, you know uh, now there's sort of a whole other reason why I'm writing and doing the things that I'm doing. Um, you know, there's also a reason why I uh, am now writing uh, less quickly than I used to, too, which is <laughs> something I've, I've talked to many other parent writers who, who say the same thing. And um, Right. Well, like, being uh, sleep deprived uh, yeah. aside. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That definitely changes the, uh, can change the writing schedule. It I does. Imagine. Yeah, it but, does. Um, and, and in this particular book, Chris, you are drawing partially from a personal story, the mm -hmm. loss of your younger sister um, to a rare form of cancer. Mm -hmm. How did you navigate uh, this kind of personal loss in writing this story? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. If, uh, after she passed away in 2008, as I mentioned before, uh, I, I you know I'd been the whole time she was sick. She was uh, she was living with um, my my then fiance and I in New York City in this uh, one bedroom apartment that we had in in the Lower East Side in Manhattan. Uh, while she was uh, she was sort of staying with us while she was there getting treatment at Mount uh, at um, Sloan Kettering, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, 
she the whole time that she was with us I'd been you know sort of you know teaching and then writing also at, uh, at the time and uh, that book that I was trying to write while she was living with us just you know totally fell apart uh, right around the time that she passed away and uh, after that I went through a sort of a long period where I wasn't really writing very much and was kind of uh, you know I, and I think a big part of it was that I wasn't really yet sure how to write about what what had happened um, mm. and there was a big part of me that didn't want to uh, I remember being very you know angry uh, you know in the beginning of the whole thing thinking that um, you know well, that one of the things that writing about it might do would be to somehow you know, uh, explain it or to, you know, not to justify it, but to, uh, you know, to, to make some sense out of it. I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that fiction does of life is make sense out of the things that happen to us that feel random and, and, uh, and unfair at the time. Um, so with, uh, and I had this very strong feeling that I just never wanted to let that happen with what we'd been through that mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to allow it to have any, any benefit come from it at all. Um, but then I sort of, you know, had no choice after a while. Uh, as I mentioned before, I started writing these, you know, stories the following year, uh, and all this stuff that I guess I'd just been bottling up, it, you know, started pouring out, uh, and, uh, and, and more or less without my trying, you know, I'd, I'd wind up with, um, characters that were struggling with grief or, or, or loss, yeah. and, uh, and eventually it just started to feel right, and, uh, you know, these characters started to form around, uh, around that. We now take a break from Christopher's conversation with Melissa to join him as he reads the prologue to Why We Came to the City at his event for Book Passage later that evening. Why We Came to the City we came to the city because we wished to live haphazardly, to reach for only the least realistic of our desires, and to see if we could not learn what our failures had to teach, and not, when we came to live, discover that we had never died. We wanted to dig deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to be overworked and reduced to our last wit. And if our bosses proved mean, why then we'd evoke their whole and genuine meanness afterward over vodka cranberries and small batch bourbons. And if our drinking companions proved to be sublime, then we would stagger home at dawn over the old city cobblestones, into hot showers and clean shirts, and press onward until dusk fell again. For the rest of the world, it seemed to us, had somewhat hastily concluded that it was the chief end of man to thank God it was Friday and pray that Netflix would never forsake them. Still we lived frantically like hummingbirds, though our HR departments told us that our commitments were valuable and our feedback was appreciated, our raises would be held back another year. Like gnats, we pestered management, who didn't know how to use the internet, whose only use for us was to set up Facebook accounts so they could spy on their children, or to sync their iPhones to their outlooks, or to explain what tweets were, and more importantly, why, which we didn't even know. Retire, we wanted to shout. Get out of the way with your big thumbs and your senior moments and your nostalgia for 1976. We hated them. We wanted them to love us. We wanted to be them. We wanted to never, ever become them. Complexity, complexity, complexity. 
We said, let our affairs be endless and convoluted. Let our bank accounts be overdrawn and our benefits be reduced. Take our social security contributions and let it go bankrupt. We'd been bankrupt since we'd left home. We'd secure our own society. Retirement was an afterlife we didn't believe in and that we expected yesterday. Instead of three meals a day, we'd drink coffee for breakfast and scavenge from empty conference rooms for lunch. We had plans for dinner. We'd go out and buy gummy pad thai and throat-scorching chicken vindaloo and bento boxes and chintzy dark restaurants that were always about to go out of business. Those who were a little flush would cover those who were a little short, and we would promise them coffees in repayment. We still owed someone for a movie ticket last summer. They hadn't forgotten. Complexity. Complexity. In holiday seasons, we gave each other spider plants in badly decoupaged pots and scarves we'd just learned how to knit and cufflinks purchased with employee discounts. We followed the instructions on food and wine websites, but our souffles sank and our baked breeze burned and our basil ice creams froze solid. We called our mothers to get recipes for our old favorites, but they never came out the same. We missed our families. We were sad to be rid of them. Why shouldn't we live with such hurry and waste of life? We were determined to be starved before we were hungry. We were determined to decrypt our neighbors' Wi-Fi passwords and to never turn on the air conditioning. We vowed to fall in love, headboard clutching, desperate texting, hearts and esophagi love. On the subways and at the park and on our fire escapes and in the break rooms, we turned pages, resolved to get to the ends of whatever we were reading. A couple of minutes were the day's most valuable commodity. If only we could make more time, more money, more patience, have better sex, better coffee, boots that didn't leak, umbrellas that didn't involute at the slightest gust of wind. We were determined to make stupid bets. We were determined to be promoted or else to set the building on fire on our way out. We were determined to be out of our minds. We couldn't stop following the news. Every ten seconds we refreshed our browsers and gawked at the headlines. Dully we read blogs of friends of friends of friends who had started an organic farm out on the Wachito River. They were out there pickling and canning and brewing things in the goodness of nature. And soon we'd worry it was time for us to leave the city and go. Go to Uruguay or Morocco or Connecticut to the plains or the mountains or the bay. But we'd bide our time, and after some months or years, our farmer friends would give up the farm and begin studying for the LSATs. We felt lousy about this and wonderful. We missed getting mail. We wondered why we even kept those tiny keys on our crowded rings. Sometimes we would send ourselves things from the office. Sometimes we would handwrite long letters to old loved ones and not send them. We never knew their new address. We never knew anyone's address, just their cross street and what their doors looked like, which button to buzz, and if the buzzers even worked, how many flights to climb and which way to turn off the stairs, and sometimes we missed those who hadn't come to the city with us or who had gone to other different cities. Sometimes we journeyed to see them, and sometimes they ventured to see us. Those were the best of times, for we were all at home and not at once. And those were the worst of times, for we inevitably longed to all move here or there, yet no one ever came. Somehow, everyone only left. And soon we were practically all alone. Soon we began to hate the forever cramping of our lives, sleeping on top of strangers and sipping coffee with people we knew we knew but couldn't remember where from. Living out of boxes, we had no space to unpack. Soon we named the pigeons roosting in our windowsills. We worried they looked mangier than the week before. We heard bellowing in the apartments below us and bed springs creaking in the ones above. Everywhere we saw people with dogs and wondered how they managed it. Did they work from home? Did they not work? Had they gone to the right schools? Did they have connections? We had no connections. Our parents were our guarantors in name only. 
They called us from their jobs in distant, colorless suburban office parks and told us we could come home anytime, and this terrified us always. But then came those nights creeping up on us while we worked busily in dark offices, like submariners lost at sea, sailing through the dark stratosphere in our cement towers. We'd call each other to report a good thing happened, a compliment had been paid, a favor had been appreciated, an inch of ground had been gained. We wouldn't trade those nights for anything or anywhere. Those nights we remembered why we came to the city. Because if we were really living, then we wanted to hear the cracking in our throats and feel the trembling in our extremities. And if our apartments were coffins and our desks headstones and our dreams infections, if we were all slowly dying, then at least we were going about that great and terrible business together. Thank you. question is, and, and it may be too personal of a question, but, um, and I know this is fiction, mm -hmm. I know this is a fictional story, <laughs> um, but how have your parents and mm. closest friends and those who knew your sister responded to the story? To the, to the book? Yeah. yeah. The book. It's actually been really wonderful. It was something I, you know, of course was a little nervous about as I was writing it um, because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to write about what it all felt like from my perspective, but one of the things that I learned uh, in the process was actually that uh, grief uh, really manifests very differently for different people. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things that was hardest about, I think, dealing with it was that uh, even though we, you know, my friends and family, we were all sort of grieving the same loss, we were all doing it in such different ways. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've, some, some of us, um, I, I personally sort of, uh, I think, kind of withdrew a little bit from from other people uh, and uh, you know went, withdrew into myself and then into writing uh, other friends of of hers and family members of mine uh, you know sort of you know had this sort of attitude of like well let's just move on and make the best of you know everything and not think about it and and that was just impossible for me to understand from where I was you know uh, and uh, so that was a big part of what I, I did end up learning through the whole uh, through the whole process and, and through writing the book was that uh, you know what what I was feeling might not have looked like grieving to someone else and vice versa but the, but it, but it all is kind of part of that process and um, yeah no and I think uh, now that the book is finished and, and it's out there it's it's really uh, become something that everybody can kind of connect with uh, and uh, I've heard in the last uh, few days and weeks from lots of friends of uh, my sisters and from members of my family who are reading it and and you know I think uh, hopefully it's able to kind of give a little bit of a voice to you know, a lot of what they've all been going through. I would imagine it's it's an emotional read for those yeah. who knew and, and cared and loved your sister, <laughs> you know, because they feel they get a glimmer into yeah. parts of her. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of her in Irene's character who's, uh, you know, it's just a very complicated mm -hmm. uh, and a little bit enigmatic uh, character. My, my sister in, in real life was, uh, you know, she's somebody that was always very... Um, 
you know, she wanted she wanted things the way she wanted them, and she didn't take no for an answer. She could be even sometimes a really difficult, uh, you know, person to have around. And uh, and uh, when she was living with it, which is you know the way so siblings are, um, but uh, we had this you know kind of great chance uh, at, uh, when she was living with us. Uh, at the end, as she was going through her treatments and everything, we uh, you know got to kind of really just connect as equals and as as adults, you know, for the first time. Uh, and uh, Irene is, is I think, of, you know, embodies a lot of that same spirit uh, in this book. Um, and uh, she's really sort of a driving force for a lot of the other characters, the same way that my sister has been for me. So. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, so this is your second novel. Mm -hmm. And um, just more on the author side, how is this experience so far? been different from your first book being published yeah uh it's been really wonderful it's uh you know of course uh you know it's always a matter of sort of expectations you know i think mm -hmm. the first time out i had absolutely no idea what to expect and uh, i was really sort of overwhelmed and overjoyed with the fact that people you know were reading um, my my first novel uh, and uh, and liking it uh, as much as they were and you know really you know getting sort of invested in it uh, with this with this book then I felt you know a little bit that I had something to live up to uh, you know there was a little bit of an expectation already out there um, for uh, you know I, I didn't want to disappoint anybody who had liked uh, the unchangeable spots of leopards and uh, and and there was a little risk of that too this 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 uh, one of the things that a lot of people liked about my first book was that and it's got this kind of a uh, little bit of postmodern, you know, sort of layer to it, where there's sort of stories within stories and a you know book within a, a book uh, kind of uh, structure. Um, this story, uh, my new novel, is is very you know more or less straightforward. There's there's none of that kind of um, you know uh, formal uh, you know games going on. But uh, but yeah, I wanted it to hopefully kind of carry the same you know sort of impact, uh, uh, even though this one is a uh, is, 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 I don't know, maybe modern and not postmodern. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm by no means, you know, sort of tied to this now. I, I've, I'm hoping that as I write more and more, I'll be able to, you know, sort of keep on jumping back and back and forth. I, I, I always thought that that was a very sort of silly distinction. Uh, even back when I was in college, we would read postmodern and modern works <laughs> side by side all the time, and it never bothered me at all. And, and uh, I was actually even a little surprised when, when my first novel came out and people started saying it was postmodern, I thought, you know, uh, I, I'd never heard that, you know, before. and uh, Or I just hadn't thought of it that way as I was writing it, I guess. Um, I guess people really yeah. like to just slap those labels down on yeah. things. And then it, it makes it hard because I, I don't think book should be labeled as yeah one or another right yeah and i think you know to some i think postmodern carries with it a lot of connotations that it's going to be uh you know i like you know maybe you like the, a lot of the things that i read when i was in college that are you know a little stiff uh and stuffy and unapproachable and academic and uh you know I, one of the things i wanted to do with that book was to show how you could write a book that mm -hmm. was postmodern, but was also a, a fun adventure, uh, you know, that anybody would be able to enjoy. You didn't need a PhD in literature to <laughs> appreciate it. Um, and that's the same with this. Uh, this novel also has some some sort of tricky um, structure to it. Um, there is, uh, um, you know, sort of one of the 
sort of the big events in the book uh, happen sort of right in the middle uh, uh, rather than sort of towards the end of the book and that was something I wanted to play with and, and it shifts around from different perspectives uh, all throughout um, which was uh, which was a big challenge and hopefully a really rewarding payoff for, for the reader. Absolutely. I noticed that um, in both of your novels, you, you're just terrific with dialogue and capturing interactions and conversations. <laughs> and um, does, does writing dialogue come, I don't want to say naturally, but pretty <laughs> naturally for you? Or is it something that you work really hard on getting right? I definitely work hard at it, but I, I do think that that's often where things start to come to life for me. Um, when I can hear the way a character speaks, that's usually when they start to feel real to me in my imagination. So a lot of times, um, that's you know that's kind of some where I where I jump off um, is from from their dialogue and their voice. Um, I think. Uh, I, I was I was listening to uh, Dan Chone uh, or uh, the other day talking about writing, uh, and he said uh, somebody had asked him this question about you know are 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 some writers like naturally talented or mm -hmm. you know or something like that, and he said that in his experience you know at the very best you're you you might have some uh, you know uh, ability in in one of you know in either you know sort of voice plot or character but usually not all three <laughs> and uh, you know if you're lucky you might have you know a little bit of ability with one of those things and then the other two are are very hard work and uh, and that's kind of how I've always felt about dialogue that that might be sort of I might you know have a little bit of uh, of like a good ear for dialogue but then yeah everything else is is, is very hard <laughs> yeah yeah well you've done just a, a remarkable job Thank on you. the story and um, I just so enjoyed um, reading your first book and then reading this book and, and they are different and I love them both. Great, thank you. And um, I hope I can keep surprising you yeah, for, for I, many years Yeah, I'm not come. concerned about that at all. <laughs> um, so Chris, thank you for um, talking with me at Book Passage today and congratulations thank on you. this fantastic thank new book. Thank you very much. And, um, and um, carry on the celebration. Thank you. Okay, thanks Chris. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Radio Book Passage. This program is produced by Elaine Petricelli, Bill Petricelli, and Zach Ruskin. Additional support from Sam Barry. Our thanks to Christopher Jansma. Visit him online at ChristopherJansma.com or on Twitter at Christopher Jans. Thanks also to Melissa Sestaro, who can be found at MelissaSestaro.com or on Twitter at Melissa Sestaro. To purchase Why We Came to the City, visit bookpassage.com. Join us next time when we speak with the iconic Joyce Carol Oates, author most recently of The Man Without a Shadow. As the great Neil Gaiman once said, a book is a dream that you hold in your hand. Mm -hmm.